With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. are listening to any given sunday the monday edition for monday february 11 2019 i am your host manny brown what's good everyone hopefully you guys had a happy safe blessed week i am back with another episode of the podcast and my guest this week is the suge knight of the whole dead end operation my boss uh curator producer executive member of Dead in hip hop, dead in sports, it's the mic still on, dead in gaming, a whole host of other items and things that he'll probably talk about on the podcast as well. Mr. Kenneth B. Ng. What's good, Ken? What's good, brother? Not Glad to be back. Yeah, on the yeah. Show. Yeah, we have to get you back. We have to get you back. We've been uh we've been talking a lot of sports topics lately, so I figured we uh we get it on wax and, and, and put a show out together to to the masses. But nah, man, just just chilling, man. You know, as I told you offline, just trying to survive this this nor'easter slash blizzard slash snowmageddon, whatever the hell they're trying to call it that we're going through here in the Pacific Northwest. How's things uh, in the, in Atlanta? Um, things are calm, man. I, I think the weather's going in and out. Like you know, it was eighty degrees one day here, then it jumped down to like. 50 and in, in, in the 40s and then today it was like 60 and, and warm and it was just it was just weird it's just all over the place they don't know what they want to do well atlanta's always like that though well i've always i've only been in atlanta twice and it's it was the summertime so i don't know what the winters be like but um if it's anything like when i was in augusta yeah that shit is weird <laughs> i was stationed in augusta for yeah. eight months and it was like the most harebrained weather ever yeah, yeah, that that sounds about right. How was the Super Bowl? Oh, uh, it was. You know what? Here's the thing, and and I saw a lot of. This is how I felt, but I don't didn't go to the city a lot, so you know how I felt about it may have been different than people that actually went in and out of the city. But what I saw from people that were or people that do stay in the city is that. It felt like a regular weekend in Atlanta. So 
there wasn't really like um the craziness that you would expect with the Super Bowl. It just felt like another week, which was weird. Mm. And you know, I'm sure it had a lot to do with, you know, the Patriots and the Rams being in it. Yeah. And New Orleans not being able to come to the city because they would have came and tore it up uh in a good way. Uh, <laughs> but but yeah, man, it just it, it was it was it was weird. It just felt very mild and mellow. Interesting. Interesting. Well, because it's crazy because I, I was listening to a couple shows in the week in the in the whole lead up to the Super Bowl. And a lot of people kind of hate Atlanta as far as like a Super Bowl city. Like in the past, like that, because I think it hosted it two other times in the 90s, I believe. Um, Atlanta hosted a Super Bowl. And well, obviously, 99 uh, or 2000, I should say with the Rams and the uh, Titans. And then I think before that it was 93 and um, like media personalities take that for what you will anyway. But they said they hated the experience in Atlanta. Like they hated it. Like it was just terrible. Traffic was horrible. Just the city didn't seem like it was, it was, it was hosting Super Bowl material type of thing. So I was, it's just, it was strange to me because it's like, Oh, Atlanta, like you would think Atlanta is like, Oh, it's a big city, like able to host big events and stuff. It hosted the Olympics. Like, but no, nah, a lot of people hated Atlanta as far as the Super Bowl city. Yeah, they 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 can't handle it, man. Like traffic is bad now. So if traffic was bad uh, back then. I would imagine how they would feel now. Um, it's, it's absolutely horrible, it, and it started to become worse in in the suburbs. And, and that's when you know that they, you know, they, that things are getting out of hand. And they also need to figure out what to do with the transportation because the you know the the MARTA system here isn't isn't very good. So um so yeah I, I can see that them saying that but hey Stephen A Smith loved it <laughs> <laughs> oh Stephen A yeah nah nah I just find that interesting so I mean but I noticed I noticed that the Super Bowl this year just didn't just lack the, I was mentioning that in one of the other shows that I did um it just lacked a lot of buzz um obviously a lot of that is Patriot fatigue I think people are just tired of the Patriots myself included um but I think it's just also the novelty of the Rams. And it just kind of felt like it was just a like a whole hum Super Bowl. It just didn't seem like. I mean, we'll get to the game in a second, but just the lead up to it, the hype to it, just wasn't there for me this year. Nah, nah, it wasn't. Um, nah, it was it was dope, man. Like I um I wasn't excited to be the Patriots. Everybody that know me know how I feel about them. Um, and you know, I I would have loved to see you know the. The the young young blood Mahomes go to the Super Bowl to give us something fresh, um, but no, nah, it was just like none of the quarterbacks interesting. interesting. So so dull leading up leading into the Super Bowl, and it didn't really seem like the media cared to talk about it that much either. Yeah, like, they only did it because they had to. Yeah, I agree. It kind of felt that. I mean, again, it was just like one of the most like I. Like legit, like forgot the Super Bowl was coming up. Like it was just kind of yes. like, oh shit, like oh the Super Bowl's this Sunday. Like oh, like as I usually like plan on going to a Super Bowl party or something, or planning a Super Bowl party, and it just like literally came and went. It was just like oh yeah, the Super Bowl's on Sunday. Like well, and and, and that was the thing. Like we had a Super Bowl event at at the studio, um, and you know, so I was getting prepared for for all of that. And that turned into a, a situation because, you know, people were showing up at 530 and the pizza was going at six and nobody was there. And I had to fly, <laughs> you know, race to the studio to let people in. And 
I wasn't supposed to come until halftime. So it, it, it was, that was a nightmare and a, and a bit of a fiasco. And, you know, um, so we, we have this, this thing because uh, B had two of his homies in town. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, so we were like, Oh, we'll just do something. So that's what we did. And, and then we get what we got as a result of it, a dull Super Bowl. Oh, man. Don't even remind me. Uh, yeah, I guess we could talk about it a little bit. I mean, just how bad that Super Bowl was. And and I know people kind of – and it's crazy because, like, I think the universal consensus is that it was just a bad game, an uninteresting, dull, boring game. And I think there's – now you have, like, a small minority or a small pocket trying to, like, fight that, not that, that narrative because you had Trey Wingo and his rant, like, oh, you don't like defensive football – you know, you're just a millennial, whatever, you know, the typical dumb analysis, like, okay, yeah. But um, yeah, it was just a bad game, man. It's just boring. Like, yeah, I mean, I, I love defensive football games. Don't get me wrong, but it's just like, there was nothing exciting about that game. There was not, there was not one moment of drama in that game. Maybe, maybe, the, maybe the drive that the, that the uh, Rams had, you know, in the fourth quarter when, uh, when golf threw that interception, when you just kind of knew the game was over. Um, that was probably like the one moment of drama. But outside of that, there was nothing in that game. Nothing that just was like, that just made you think that that game was worth watching. No, it, it wasn't. And that wasn't a defensive struggle. That was just poor offense. Exactly. Um, that That's what that was. And and we know what a defensive struggle looked like. We know what good defense looks like. And that, that was the Baltimore Ravens, you know, when, when they were on the, on the field, like their defense was the offense. And, you know, the the Giants, when, when they were in the Super Bowl and how they were able to shut down, you know, the Patriots offline offense as well. But that just wasn't it because, you know, the Rams are known for the offense. The Patriots are known to be able to score the ball. And, and, and the thing about it is how can they go out here and say that, oh, this was just a great defensive game when neither of the teams played good defense all year long? Exactly. The Rams gave up points <laughs> like – in every single, like, left to right. Like, I could have probably got out there and scored on them. They gave up five yards a, a carry on the run, and their corners were not any good. Nah. Like, don't try to sell me that that was a defensive struggle. It was, it was just a bad football game. Tom Brady, yeah, you know. Absolutely. You know, I agree. I, I completely agree. It was just bad. It was just, it was just a horrible offense and that's the crazy part too like the defense has actually played well relative to the offenses but i mean it's just it's just still was just a bad offensive football game overall tom brady did nothing jared goff just looked like he was just scared like he just shit his pants like he just didn't know what what to do and that's crazy because i i praise jared goff in the nfc championship game but he just yeah it just but i but i, I if you had to like blame one person like i obviously just blame to go around um in a lot of different directions and I think the Rams are the more interesting part of the story than the Patriots. I mean, the Patriots are the Patriots. I mean, what else do you say? Six Super Bowl championships. I mean, it's it's boring. I mean, we can sit here and wax hyperbole about the Patriots, but, I mean, everybody's done that in the last two weeks. But I think the interesting thing is the Rams and how much blame, you know, does McVay get the lion's share to blame? Does does Goff get the lion's share to blame? The whole the whole girly situation. I, I put it on. I put it on when I did this post-Super Bowl show. I did. I put the lion's share on Sean McVay. I mean, this is a guy yes. that's been praised has been showered with nothing but bouquets and and he's a genius and he's you know basically if you shared school lunch with him in fifth grade you're gonna get a coaching hire like and and to, for you to have two weeks and that's the offensive game plan that you come up with and no adjustments at halftime uh, yeah he's gotta take the hit for that one that was the thing that disappointed me the most because 
You know, sometimes you can see things. I didn't see it with Sherman Vay, but I know what a lot of people were telling me, football experts, people that played the game. You know, and, and all I kept hearing about was Sherman Vay this and Sherman Vay that. And and so when I thought about it, when I picked my teams, I said, well, who has the best chance against Bill Belichick? And I I thought legit it would be Sherman Vay because I thought he was creative offensively. Um, and, you know, he was the next guy up, mm-hmm. but he wasn't. And I was like, okay, well, you know, they managed to survive the first half. He's going to make his adjustments, and he wasn't. Sean Bivet was a, a, a deer in headlights. He he just, he was, and he admitted, he was like, I was our coach. And I, I never thought that Sean Bivet would be out coached in, in a game, but the Super Bowl is, is different, and he had no answers for what the Patriots threw at him. And I don't know if, um, you know, the if, if you follow Warren Sharp on Twitter. But, uh, nah. man, yo, you need to follow him. When it comes to football and the way he analyzes the breakdown of the game, Okay, I, I, I highly recommend I don't follow a lot of people, but he's one of the guys that will always give you information that you can rarely find anywhere else. So, um, but he broke it down, like all the way down. And there's a thread and I'll send it to you so you can put it in the show notes for the, for the listeners. But he basically broke it down. He was like, Sean McVay should have went to like uh, a 12 personnel and kept the tight ends in. And he basically said that whenever they went to 12 personnel, they was able to execute their offense. And whenever they went to 11, they struggled. And that the Patriots basically struggled against 12 personnel all year long. So and the Patriots were able to defend eleven personnel all year long. Like their efficiencies were, you know, were 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 counter to each other. And the fact that a guy that people have talked about and praised wasn't able to fi- figure that out or have a coaching staff come to him and tell him that um, is is extremely disappointing. If he's the genius that everybody pro- proclaims him to be, and so I, I I just I just couldn't believe it, man, because that game was there for the taking. And yeah, absolutely. it was all up to him to settle this quarterback down and to call the right plays to get him settled. So, and he didn't do that. Yeah, just the game plan overall was just left a lot to be desired. I mean, you knew Goff was nervous. You knew Goff was, was just not not himself. And you didn't call any kind of short passes. You didn't, you didn't try to get the ball out of his hands quickly. Like, I didn't see no screen. Thing. Like, like nothing. I mean, and we're not saying anything that nobody else hasn't said. I mean, I think everybody said the same thing, but it was just, it was just surprising. But I, I kind of, I kind of was worried about them because I was worried about how healthy Gurley was. And I think he makes that team go. He makes that offense go because everybody knows the Rams are, you know, they're built on the, uh, the play action. And if they couldn't use the play action and CJ Anderson just doesn't have that same effect that Todd Gurley does. If, 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 if they couldn't get that play action going, they were going to be in trouble. Because I I, I think what this proved was that the Rams are a one-dimensional offense. Yeah. And uh, nobody's scared of Jared Goff. And I I spent uh, (laughs) quite some time arguing with my my fellow Dennis Sports (laughs) (laughs) Padres um, about this whole thing. He had the nerve to tell me, Nick, Mr. Disrespect, shout out to him, shout out to FIFO, shout out to B. That, and they had the nerve to tell me that Jared Goff was top 10. And I said, hell no. Jared Goff is not a top 10 quarterback. And Not it, right now, anyway, no. No, he, he can definitely get there. But, you know, and I, you know, when you look at the game, when you look at how the Rams play, it's exactly what you just said. 
they are effective when Gurley is the man. Mm-hmm. And that's it. When he lost Cooper Cup, he struggled. Sure. You know, and everybody kept pointing to that. And, and you know, Josh Reynolds or whatever his name was, I mean, he just he just can do anything. And that was before. Oh, I, don't, I hate the receivers. Before. I don't love the receivers at all. Outside of Cooper Cup, I mean, I know, you know, uh, what's his face? Um, Robert Woods. Underrated. Yeah, Robert Woods is nice. He's all right. I mean, um, what's the other one? The guy, the cat that they got from the Patriots. Um, oh, oh, Brandon Cook. Brandon Crooks, yeah, he's overrated. Oh my he's, god, he's, he's so overrated. Oh my god, how you dropped that? How you dropped that touchdown? Oh my god, dude, I sat there, I almost broke my TV. I was like, how the hell did he drop that? Like, oh my and god. And then Jerry Goff missed him. Like, yeah, it, it, it's just so I'm, I know. So I was like, oh, we'll see. You know, if he if he if he beats Brady, fine. You know, maybe I'll concede. I want to concede it, but maybe. Depends on how he played, but I'm like, he's he's not top ten, not in top ten, not yet. No, not yet. And we saw that because. He couldn't take his his game to another level, and if if people were paying attention, there were stretches and, and he hit a wall this season where he was he he wasn't effective at all. He wasn't throwing touchdowns, you know. He was missing receivers, like he wasn't good. No, um, was he very, looked like basically from, late, basically from late November to like the middle of December, he had that stretch. Remember, they lost that game, right. you know, at home into the Eagles. He struggled against the Lions. I mean, he just had that stretch, yeah. And 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 you said you know take his game to the next level. I don't even think he needed to do that. I think he just needed to play as good. As he played against the Saints, and I and I I praised Jared Goff against the Saints. I thought he out he outplayed Drew Brees in that game. He made some amazing throws, especially in the fourth quarter. And he just needed to do that, and he did. He could do that. He, you know what? I I can't fully disagree with you there because of the throws, but I think I think Shumavay did a good job of getting him settled. He still looked a little bit rattled. But when he was able to really make a throw, like he made up, like he made some beautiful throws in the game, and and you know, and that's the thing about him—he has great accuracy. But he really didn't look in control of the game. Yeah, you know, and that was in the second half. It looked like he just—he was able to execute just enough. Um, and I think you know, going into the half. Like he made a beautiful throw. Uh, I, I forgot who he was throwing to, but it was a beautiful throw. Got him in. The, got him a touchdown with mm-hmm. Gurley, mm-hmm. and um, and he made a couple of beautiful throws. You know, uh, on the game, I think the the drive they that got him the game. But um, he did just enough. But he didn't look in control of the game. Um, you know, and 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 so, but. I, I won't fight you too much on it, but he he did what he needed to do. Yeah, well, I I just felt like relative to what he what he started out because remember in the first half, I mean, I just thought I thought I mean all the way up to to, until that fake punt, I thought that really turned the game around. I thought that was the biggest play of the game, the fake punt. I thought that settled the game. I thought that settled the Rams. I I I think it just allowed them to kind of take a deep breath because they were on their way to getting run out of the building, and he just settled down and he really played i thought that was the best game i've ever seen jerry golf play and i watched him in college a lot too so i i was like man jerry golf is actually balling like he played a hell of a game he matched he he out he out breezed drew breeze in a lot of stretches of that game and so i you know i expected him to keep it up like i had expectations for jerry golf and i've never been like a big jerry golf believer like I saw talent in him, but I didn't think he was number one overall pick talent. But, you know, obviously. But you know what? Yeah, I think that the carryover effect, right, from that game. So I expected him to do that maybe a little bit more. And if he would have, he would have won the game. 
you know, but he he missed Brandon Cooks on a play that was set up perfectly. He was wide open. And then, again, that ball placement that he had, that that throw that Brandon Cooks dropped, like, that was beautiful. That's the golf that I was expecting to see. Those are the throws that he made in in New Orleans. And we didn't see any of that. And that was what I was waiting to see. Like, like you said, he didn't have to ball out. He just had to make those make those critical throws when he needed to make them, and that was it. Yeah, and he didn't do it. And I was surprised how bad their offensive line was. I mean, their offensive line was. I mean, they were, and I don't think they got enough. They didn't. I didn't think they get. They didn't get killed enough for me. Like everybody's been killing golf. Everybody's been killing McVay. People been throwing shots at at, at Gurley, but that offensive line played like crap. Like I was like, what the? F-? I mean, are they blocking tonight? I mean, it was just. I mean, against a Patriot front, that I mean, it's solid, but it ain't that great. Shit. I mean, they were making the Patriots out to be the 85 best. Well, we need to know what, what was going on with Gurley. Yeah, uh, he really, he really he has to, to he had, I, I don't, I mean, he had, yeah, he has to have surgery. Yes, something's going on with that knee because he just didn't look himself. And just the, the, the biggest thing where it's one thing to be hurt, but when you're just making mental mistakes and mental, and you're just not in the game from a mental perspective, that's what really kind of is like, okay, like this, this, this dude is just not ready to play. And I, I hate using injury as an excuse. Cause I feel like if you're injured, you, you know, you know, if you're injured, I, I can't, I, cause how can you evaluate value? Cause if like that old Jimmy Connor is like, you injured, don't play. If you play, you're not injured. You know what I'm saying? So if, if, if that's the case, cause how could people evaluate you? Well, you played. So clearly you weren't that injured. If you were able to suit up and get on the field, and plus, he had that performance against Dallas when he played well. So, it, 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 and then they're not giving out all the information that we need. So it's kind of weird to kind right. of try to analyze. Okay, was he hurt? Was it a disciplinarian issue? Like, well, I mean, obviously, I don't think it was a disciplinary. I just, they it just, it's the lack of information, how vague they've been about it. It, it, it leads people to speculate. Yeah, and, and and my thing is, I I just you know this is just my, like for me, I just need to know because. <laughs> If you lost the Super Bowl because of arrogance, because you got C.J. Anderson, and for whatever reason, you know he's played well in the last couple of games. You thought you were going to be able to just plug him in there and 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 beat Bill Belichick. No, you need talent. You need yeah. guy to beat Bill Bill Belichick because sometimes you need scheme, and sometimes talent just wins out. Yeah, you know, and and he 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 needed that, and he needed and whenever Gurley was on the field, he made plays, like he had some big runs that we didn't see from C.J. Anderson. So McVay, if McVay cost the Rams a touchdown because he outcoached himself or he he outthought himself, man. Yeah, yeah, and we'll probably never know. I mean, we'll probably never know, or at least we won't know until somebody writes a book or something. But, oh, it's uh, gonna come out. You know how you know it's going yeah, to it's come, gonna out. come out. It's gonna come out. And and what would give me concern is the way Todd Gurley's been reacting to it because Todd Gurley's refused to talk to the media about it. So clearly, there's something else here that that they're not alluding to. But he's who pissed. Knows? Yeah, he's pissed because I mean, and he don't want to say the wrong thing. So especially, yeah, especially if like if he's injured, then obviously there's no problem in saying okay, he was injured. You know, he just wasn't himself, but. It's been a lot of mixed signals about whether he, how hurt he was, if he was hurt at all. And then obviously people see the production that he was having when he did play. And, you know, people were seeing the, the game that he had against Dallas. And I was like, okay, well, he looked healthy enough against a good defense in Dallas. So what exactly, you know, that's, and that's why sometimes I hate these. I feel like these NFL coaches kind of outsmart themselves sometimes 
and they and it's too much of oh you can't have you know you can't let the opponent get a, a you know schematic advantage so we got to keep everything close to the vest and everything i mean sometimes that annoys me so much i'm like just come out and tell people that he's fucking injured like stop playing this you know we got to basically be jason Bourne, cia secrets and cia operatives about injury injury statuses it's like stop just put out that the guy's hurt like right like, what's somebody trying to do like you try, oh, we're gonna see a lot of girls. Like you tried to mess with Bill Belichick. Like you're not gonna mess with Bill Belichick because he's not gonna fall for those type of things in the press. Exactly. And, and you know the other thing that I found interesting is that, and we found this out, of course, when the Super Bowl hit, is that Bill Belichick has been testing Sean Bay the whole year. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he had the nerve to even answer, like, bro, like he's getting in your head. He got in his head. And totally messed Sean McVay up because Sean McVay had the nerve to even reply. I haven't, I haven't seen a coach in a big spot be out coached like that in a long time. I mean, that dude. And look, there's no shame in being out. I mean, Bill Belichick is arguably the greatest NFL coach that has ever lived. I mean, if not, he's in the conversation. So there's no shame in being out coached by Bill Belichick. But I mean, the level in which he was out coached, I mean that that would concern me. Hey man, but I mean, this is not. But this is not saying that Sean McVay can't recover. You know, this was his first hiccup. You know, he's got a great record over two years. He's done some really good things. I still have faith that Sean McVay is going to be a very, very good coach for years to come. So this is not us bashing him and saying that, you know, he should get fired next year because he's terrible. No, the guy's got a lot of opportunities, hopefully, with that team, with that quarterback and that running back. Granted, if they all stay healthy to get back to a Super Bowl. And But that's what's going to take. It's going to take him getting back to a Super Bowl and, you know, winning. Because that's how bad that performance was. And you know, the history of football tells you that's extremely hard to do. Yeah, true. And, and, and that's why Bill Belichick is like the GOAT coach. Yeah. Because, you know, he's been there nine times and he's won in nine different ways. And it's rare that what Peyton Man has played in three with uh, two twice with the Broncos. And I think once with the Colts, but twice you know, the, the Dolphins. Twice with the Colts. Yeah, he, he lost to the four? Saints. Yeah, he lost to the Saints, remember? Oh nine. He got he got there in 06. he got there in 06 that they beat the Bears. That, yes, that, they did. That, that terrible Super Bowl <laughs> with Rex Grossman. And then uh they got there in two thousand nine and they lost to uh the Saints. Right, right. Okay. And then and then he and then he had the two against with with, uh, with Denver. Okay, well, but Peyton is at a, a, a other early talent like Golf is not that, so you need the coach, mm-hmm. and so you know, so we'll we'll, we'll see. And the NFC is is only going to get tougher. So yeah, well, I mean, but hey, I mean, they they got the foundation of a really good team, so that's the good thing. And and look, I, this this won't, I mean, this won't mar them. I don't think too much because I think they can recover from this. It's not like they lost a, you know, it's not like they blew a twenty eight to three lead. Sorry, Kyle. <laughs> but, you know, it's not like one of those franchise altering losses. I mean, I think they can recover from it. Um, they got Aaron Donald, they got Gurley, they got golf. So they got a good infrastructure in place. They got the key, you know, they got foundation pieces for a franchise that can make a run, a long sustained run. They just got to get better. They got to co- He got to coach better and golf's got to yeah. play better. And and Gurley's got to stay healthy. And that's the one thing that would worry me if I'm, if I'm a Rams fan is Gurley, man, he's had some issues with that knee going back to college. And now it's the same knee that he, you know, he told the ACL. So, I mean, that would worry me a little bit, especially for a running back. That would concern me a little bit. But I think the Rams are in good shape 
overall. But yeah, that was not that was not a that was not a shiny moment for them. That's for sure. Nah, no, no, not at all. Yeah, well, let's move on from the Super Bowl. I think we've 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 said almost too much about the Super Bowl because I mean that's that's how much of a lack of energy I have to talk about the damn Super Bowl is just. I figured I'd talk to you about it because it was just, it, yeah, you were in Atlanta. So I figured I'd get your thoughts on the whole Super Bowl experience and city hosting it and all that. But uh, we had, some, we had uh, some news items to come out today. Um, which one you want to ta- tackle first? You want to tackle Kareem Hunt first or you want to tackle uh, Kyler Murray? Kyler Murray. All right, well, let's talk about Kyler Murray. Um, I- I'm not shocked. And I wrote about it. He had a he had an interesting dilemma, um, choosing you know choosing the NFL, choosing baseball. Uh, I'm not surprised he chose the NFL. I think it was I think he was leaning strongly against it or str- strongly towards it from everything you read and heard. Um, I just really hope this kid's getting good advice. I really do because I, I don't I don't know about his NFL prospects. I never watched him play this year and thought, man, I'm seeing I'm seeing a superstar you know, all pro, you know, the next Russell. I, I, I just, I'd be, I'd be honest with you. I didn't, I didn't see that. Um, yes, he played great. He deserved the Heisman, but I didn't see him as a superstar NFL quarterback. I hope he's getting good evaluations. I hope he's, you know, getting good advice from agents and, you know, his, his team, whatever. Um, and he's making the right decision. Um, how do you feel about the whole Kyler Murray situation? Um, we, I, it was no doubt in my mind he was going to pick the the NFL. Um, I think it's a chance to get money right now, and if he fails, he can always go to play baseball. Yeah. Um, when yeah. you play baseball, you stay in the farm system for years, and there's still no guarantee that you're going to even make the team. You know, so um, but when you do, you get paid. Like yeah. you know, that, that's that's the upside. But with NFL, he, he can get paid right now. He he'll know whether or not he can play in the league. And that'll be that. I think, you know, uh, like, I'm, I'm, you know, with you, man, I, I didn't see anything that, that blew me away. And the way that uh, Alabama destroyed them, you know. I, he did I play well in the second half. He did play well in the second half. But, I mean, that game was already decided by that point. So, you know. And maybe they let up. But it, it was – it was, and you know what? To be fair, I think Alabama – came out extremely motivated mm-hmm. to yeah. prove a point. So, and, and Oklahoma was not prepared for that type of emotional onslaught from, from them. But I think if you got a chance and if, if you're, like you said, the people around you are projecting you to go in the first round as a top 15 guy, you got to go. You, you got to go um, and, you know, live with the results. So I'm for it. Yeah, I mean it's interesting. I, I think I think the story is interesting for a lot of different ways because I think you talk about the dynamic of baseball and football, and obviously we know that the money long term in baseball is 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 bigger, um, but the apprenticeship is longer, and I think that's the decision and the, the that a lot of kids face. You know, obviously we're you know me being a millennial, I understand this this gotta have it now this instant gratification thing. Like you, you just hey, you know, time is time is money, and I don't have time. And you got to put yourself in, in the Kyler Murray situation. You played, you balled out this year. You won a Heisman. You played in a, you know, a college football playoff game. And now you got to get on a bus and go play in, you know, Rio Grande, Arizona for the, you know, the, the, the Arizona, you know, 
name a team. You know what I mean? At at A ball, like that, that's a that's a huge come down. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You talk about playing at the national championship level in college to you know playing rookie ball in some godforsaken city in some backwoods of Arizona riding the bus every day. Like that's a huge come down. So the apprenticeship and then of course you get into baseball and you know between your know, your first year, your first couple of years if you outperform yourself then you head to arbitration before you can get that big contract. So the apprenticeship is longer, but the money long term is is the appeal, but then you have the NFL where it's you know even if he's you know even if he's a second round pick, you know, the money immediately and the and the opportunity to compete for a job right away is going to be there as opposed to being in baseball. And then, and then, like you said, there's no guarantee. I mean, Kyler Murray can basically light up the minor league system and come up. I mean, how many guys have we seen in baseball that were just top prospects, guys that lit up the minors and then come up and, you know, just don't do anything. Can't get on the field for, for a variety of reasons, performance injuries, both. I mean, it's, it's so it's no guarantee. There's no guarantee. So um, how much of, how much of a hit do you think it is for baseball that they lost out on Kyler Murray? Uh, not much, not much, because I think he was more of a, from what I, I know, um, I think he was more of a, and I haven't researched it, but I think he was more of a football star than a, than a basketball, baseball star. Um, so, you know, he, he has a name, but I think the brand of Kyler Murray screams, you know, Oklahoma football. So I, I think they'll be fine because think about the major, like they, they're doing a better job of creating stars in, in major league baseball but for the most part he just would have been a, another guy because i think he what he played shortstop or something uh, he, was like that, so. he was an outfielder he was an outfielder he was an outfielder yeah i think so i believe so i believe oh. he's an outfielder okay um i could be wrong don't quote me on that but i believe he was an outfielder no i'm, I'm actually looking it up uh but um but yeah, but no, nah, I, I think baseball will be fine. Baseball will be fine because they yeah, were they were weren't going to see him uh, anyway. I, I think they'll be fine. I I do think it's a hit in the sense that you know what's the perception of baseball in the sense that you know they can't appeal to the black audience, they can't appeal, you know, they can't get young African American kids to play baseball anymore. And what's the reason? Obviously, there's been studies and documentaries and articles written about it, and and I think it's just another aspect that plays into that narrative. You know what I mean? I mean, obviously, you had Kyler Murray who. You know, the brand, two-sport athlete, a guy who played, you know, was a superstar, Heisman Trophy winner. You know, what if he had chose baseball? That instantly helps, you know, I think it helps baseball that, you know, you have a guy that, you know, willingly chose baseball instead of playing football. And, you know, he comes with that name recognition and the Heisman and the hype and all that. You know, granted, whatever would it, what, you know, independent of what he would have done on the field, you know, because only that lasts only so long, obviously, but... Um, I think I think it was I think it's a I think it's a loss. I don't think it's a huge loss. Obviously, baseball is going to survive without Kyler Murray, clearly. But I, I think it's a loss. I think if you're I think if you're the Oakland A's, I think if you're Billy Bean, I think you're sitting there like, damn, <laughs> we missed out on an opportunity to make some some money, some cash. Yeah. I, so so it, it, you know, speaking about the the black part of it, there are a lot of African American or people of color, however you want to frame it. Uh, baseball stars on the rise. So I think they still got a chance to to do that. Like this kid in Atlanta, Ronald Acuna Jr., man, this, this dude, yeah. man, this dude is, is, is the truth. Yeah, and, and, and I'm a fan already. Then there's a, another guy, uh, Juan Soto, 
Yeah. And, and yeah. you know, the Nationals, he he's dope. So I, I think they have some guys that, that are on the rise. Um, but to, to what you're saying, like they just lost out on what could have potentially been another guy that black kids could have looked up to and inspired to be. So that's a good point. Yeah, you know, especially with the two sport component and you know all the all the marketing that he had he been successful, I think it would. I think it's a. I think it's a missed out opportunity for baseball. I, I do. I mean, they'll, they'll survive. They're not gonna. They're not gonna lose sleep over it. I think they'll just be like, ah, oh, you know, it's a missed opportunity. It sucks, but they'll move on. Um, but you're you're. So how how do you see him? How do you see him faring in the NFL? Like how how do you do you really have an optimism that he's going to be legit. Do you see him as a guy that may be, because a lot of people, you know, especially with the success of Baker Mayfield now, people are always saying, oh, well, you know, Baker Mayfield did it, so why can't Kyler Murray? Same system, you know, and I, as you know, that's not always an accurate assessment to compare two guys because obviously they're two different players, two different guys, two different athletes, two different players, and that's not always a fair way to really evaluate that situation. Well, we all know Baker Mayfield was special. Like, so, um, well, I say we all know, but there are people that, that didn't know. Um, but with a guy like him, you can see it. So he's able to overcome um, genetic, you know, uh, at least when it comes to that position. Um, it, genetic, because of his attitude, his leadership. Et cetera, et cetera. Same thing with, with, with Russell Wilson and same thing with Drew Brees. Like those guys, you can kind of tell that they just had it, that they were uh, leaders of men, which is what everybody likes to say, right? Mm-hmm. With Kyler Murray, I'm somewhat concerned because I saw him on uh, first take. And maybe he was nervous, but he did not come across comfortable and confident and and it it caused me some concerns because he was he was fumbling over over his words and uh we got to the point where i didn't i didn't even want to hear it anymore i just, I just basically <laughs> did the rest of the rest of the uh segment but uh but i think uh right now looking at one mock draft on nfl.com it looks like he's projected to go to the Broncos, and we all know that they can't develop quarterbacks, but they somewhat seem to have a system that could fit because Case Keenum is only 6-1. Mm-hmm. So they already have a, a, a scheme uh, in mind that they could probably, uh, you know, run with them. So I think that as the NFL continues to progress, like I know they love the big 6-5, six, 6-4 six, quarterbacks, but I think some of these six foot six one guys will – start to make waves in the NFL and be successful and start to kind of knock down the the tradition, the traditional way that, that they typically like quarterbacks. And I, you know, I understand because they have quarterbacks that are six seven. But what was funny is that when he was on first take and Steven Smith Stephen A. Smith was six one, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so uh <laughs> he asked Colin Burby, he was like, well, are you concerned about being able to see over Six, 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 seven guys. He was like, "Well, can you see over six, 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 seven guys?" He was like, "No, no, I cannot." And but, but the interesting, interesting part about the exchange is it, it got me to thinking. I'm like, "Well, I don't know if other quarterbacks that are six four can really see over six, six guys." 
you know. Yeah, I think that's I think that's always a little overrated too. Can you see yeah. over? I think that's always a little overblown too. Yeah, maybe when you when you you know you back up in the pocket, you know you mm-hmm. can probably see a little bit more because you're not standing directly behind them, so you probably get a more more vision. But uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I think it's a little bit overrated, and they got different schemes and stuff that they can run. Well, most of the quarterbacks that. now. Well, most of the quarterbacks now are playing out the shotgun anyway, so it's not like they're under center too much anymore. Yeah, right. So 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 I I don't think he's going to. I think I don't know, man. I have my doubts. I, I'm normally pretty good at this stuff, and I don't. I don't think he's going to be the guy. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm taking a wait and see approach with him. I mean, I I I like I like him as a quarterback. I I, I feel the same way about him as, as I feel with Baker. You know, I don't love Big Twelve quarterbacks. I don't love quarterbacks that play in those gimmicky offenses. I know the NFL is is trending more towards. You know, that style of play anyway. They've been doing that now for the last few years, you know, really the last 10 years, but, you know, essentially the last five years is when it's really kind of gotten crazy about it. So, yes, I know that the spread offenses are being run in the NFL, but I still don't love Big 12 quarterbacks. Historically, they've not done well. You know, I know Mahomes now. He's kind of put that to bed a, a little bit. And, you know, but even RG3, you know, outside of the first year, now RG3 was more health related than anything else, but. You know, even RG3, people forget, you know, Shanahan had to basically throw the playbook out the window. Like, they basically, you know, they basically consulted with Art Browse and were like, hey, what offense did you run at Baylor? Because we're basically going to do the same thing here. And that's what they did in RG3's first year, and he excelled. Now, long term, would that have been successful? Who knows? I I don't know. Obviously, RG3's knees didn't hold up, and we could argue other things happened as well. Um, That that you know didn't didn't help us realize that that to its full potential but you know i, I just I, I'm, I'm taking a wait and see approach because i'm i was the same way with baker mayfield i was like i like baker a lot as a college quarterback but i don't know if that those antics and the things that he does is going to carry over in the nfl now so far when you're in so far so good i, I still gotta see a little bit more from baker mayfield before i i'm i'm totally convinced but you know so far so good I'm taking the same approach with Kyler Murray. Like the guy has talent. I mean, he clearly has talent. So that that's not that's not even an, an issue. He's got a great arm. Um, he's got a rocket arm. But you know, obviously, that's not that's not the only judge of a quarterback. Obviously, the leadership skills. I didn't watch the first take interview. You did. I'll take your word for it. Um, I, you know, he could have been nervous. You know, very well could have just been nervous. You know, he's a young kid. Probably never been in that in that setting. So, you know, it could have been absolutely right. nervous. So he could, and it could have just been that he just doesn't have the leadership quality. It, it's very possible. Both, both, both. Points and, are very you know, possible. he probably may have felt some kind of way about Stephen A. Smith. Yeah, true. True. Yeah. True. Yeah. So you still don't believe in Baker Mayfield. I'm not saying I don't believe in him. I like, let me be clear. I thought Baker Mayfield would be a very good quarterback. Oh, okay. I think Baker Mayfield would be superstar, franchise level, like cover of Madden's, you know, this is one of the, you know, top 10 great. I, I thought Colin had a great description of Baker Mayfield. And I was like, damn, that's like the best description I've ever heard of. Colin, you know, Colin Cowherd. Now you can take it for what it's worth. You know, you, obviously Colin has his agendas. Um, he called him Jeff Garcia. And I thought it thinking about it, I was like, it kind of reminds me of a Jeff Garcia. You know, Jeff Garcia had some really good years in the NFL. Now, was Jeff Garcia a superstar? No. 
But was he a competent starter where you could win with him? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I think he's a little bit better than Jeff Garcia. But, I, you know, I gotta, I'm going I'm to I'm wait. I'm going to wait and see what Baker Mayfield. I, I want to see him do it again. I want to see him do it next year. If he comes out next year, has another great year, then, yeah. I think he's, he's shown me enough where, you know, I, I think we can see, you know, and, and I know what people are going to say. I'm a Darnold guy because I'm a Jets fan. I mean, even with Darnold, Darnold finished the year amazing. And I have high hopes for him, but I got to see more. You know, let's see next year when, you know, let's see a full year of Darnold when he's healthy with some offensive weapons around him. Hopefully a better coaching staff. Hopefully. Um, you know, we'll see. So, you know, I say that about any quarterback. Yeah. I, Baker is a superstar. And, and, and at least for right now. Now, once he start losing, that can change if he start losing. But right now, that that dude is box office man, and a lot of people had doubts about him, and and he he came and and he he showed and proved that you know it's it's one year the league got to catch up to him. Uh, same thing with Mahomes, but I, I think if if he if he keeps that up, you know, if, if you want to call him Jeff Garcia in terms. In terms of like a couple of good seasons, I mean, we still have to, like you said, wait and see. But he he don't have the the brand recognition and brand name that Jeff Garcia had, so that's where I see a big difference. Uh, and it, it took me a while to catch on to the Baker Mayfield hype trade, but no, I loved him in college. I, lo- I, lo- I loved him in college. I loved him in college. So I was like, yo, he could he could be a quarterback on my team any day in college. I had some question marks about him in the NFL, and maybe it's my old antiquated way of thinking NFL quarterbacks, that height, you know, from the Big 12. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I need to get away from that. Maybe it's just, hey, the way the league is transitioning, can more Big 12 quarterbacks be successful in the NFL? Absolutely. Um, you know what I'm saying? So maybe I have to change my, my mindset on that. You know, I'm very open to that. But and, and again, I'm not saying that he's going to be a bum. I'm not sitting here saying, you know. No, you, you said know, it was Baker. good. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 to this day, I still say I think he's going to be a very good quarterback. Now, do I think he's going to be superstar? I got to wait and see. You know, can I? Can he be Matt Stafford level? Puts up numbers on a yearly basis, but on an average to below average team? Yeah. Now, can he be Russell Wilson or beyond? Absolutely. So I, I think it's I think it's just I think it's fair to say wait and see. Yeah, yeah, it is. I mean, we you know, um, you know, we got to see what they do this year because that division is still that division. But, you know, to go to Cleveland and to. And just a few games or basically half a season or however you want to describe it to change the way that they look at that team now absolutely absolutely give them credit give them credit now they they have a lot of talent too i mean the idea is let's, let's not act like cleveland's out there running a bunch of you know a bunch of stiffs like they have some talent and they've done a great job of, i mean shit they should have i mean they've had top three picks now for the last i mean they've been horrible for the last decade or so even more so that you would think that you know somebody smart like you know like john dorsey would would go in there and finally build that team up so they have some talent, um, but give him credit. He galvanized that team. I mean, I, I watched it firsthand. You know, the first game he came in was against the Jets, and he just he lit us up, lit us up. So I know firsthand the Baker, ba- the Baker Mayfield. The thing I'm interested with him is I think he, I think his his antics and his behavior is good now, but I want to see what happens when they actually become a really good team and those antics start to 
you know, those antics are still there if it's going to be received the same way. Yeah, I, 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 you know, that's the one thing that started started to rub me the wrong way because you know this whole thing he had with Marvin Lewis is like, man, get yeah, over it, grow up. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, enough's enough. Like, what what happens when that's no longer there? You know, and you can't like when he when he run it run it down the field looking at Marvin Lewis the second time they play. Come on, man! Like now you being a little bit extra, you being over the top. It's not that. You mean Hugh Jackson? You mean Hugh Jackson? Hugh Jackson, I'm sorry. Yeah. Hugh Jackson. Yeah. Yes. It's like, bro, like you you been you doing too much. Yeah, like the first like the first time with the handshake or whatever. Okay, all right, I can see it. All right. I, okay, I, that was that was fine. But then the running down the field, staring at the guy, like, okay, like a dude, enough. And I think a lot of organizations, you know, that's fine now because Cleveland has just been so just godforsakenly awful for so long so i think they'll, they're willing to put it with anything <laughs> anything that you know you know if they have a glimpse of hope they're willing to put up with it but i wonder if it's going to get old eventually yeah. i wonder if it's going to get old eventually now he may mature and he may grow up and it's just a part of his thing i i, I don't know what rubs me the wrong way is guys that the the, the false kind of you know you know, the edge, the false, you know, like, you know, what's the phrase that, that people use, you know, the chip on their shoulders or whatever. Like, oh, you know, Baker has a chip on his shoulder because he was a walk-on in college. Like, that's fine in college, but Baker, you were the number one overall pick. Like, at, at some point, the chip on the shoulder is kind of like, okay. Like, I can understand Aaron Rodgers having a chip on his shoulder because he was projected as a top five pick and he went 24th to the, to the Packers. You know, Tom Brady having that to proverbial chip on his shoulder because, you know, he went in the sixth round. But Baker, like, you, you were the number one pick in the draft. Like, so, like, at, at, at some point, like, okay, like, it's a little bit kind of manufactured. So that's another thing that kind of rubs me the wrong way. But I think the dude's got a chance, man. He's got a chance. So, uh, yeah. But, I, but, I, but let's transition over to his team, Baker's team, the Browns, signing uh, Kareem Hunt. I think it was kind of unexpected. I, I didn't think he was signed this quickly. I, I figured he would be more of like later in the season, kind of towards July, August time frame. But nah, Browns went in there quickly, scooped him up. And from everything you read and, and Adam Schefter and all the things that I've been reading about today, uh, he had multiple offers, apparently. Um, so the Browns weren't the only one, but he's from the Ohio. He's from Ohio. Um, so I figured it was a, you know, so he probably felt like it was a homecoming of sorts for him. and. Um, also went to school in Toledo. Now it's interesting that he had the incident in Cleveland, so that was a little interesting. That you would think he would want to stay far as far away from Cleveland as possible, but no, they signed him, picked him up, two year deal. I think the first year is fully guaranteed, and then I think there's an option for the second year. I believe that's how the contract works out. But um, what do you think of the Kareem Hunt signing? Well, I'm still processing it all. Um, I do think it was a little sudden that he got picked up. I do think the Chiefs damn sure could have used him in, in, in against yeah, the Patriots. Yeah, yeah. Tell me about it. Uh, but you got to applaud them for taking a stand uh, because they have an organizational culture in place, um, and and they felt that they it was best to move on. And, and apparently, he lied to them too. Yeah. Um, I know for for me it hurts because I wanted to see Nick Chubb's ball out. Like I, I he was he I thought he was going to be the bear. Yeah, Chubb um, is a, Chubb is a beast. Yeah, so it's 
And Duke Johnson's nice too. They got a they yeah. got a hell of, but I think they're gonna probably trade Duke Johnson at this point. Because I think that's, you know, you don't see too many three-man running back teams. So I think they're going to probably have to trade one of them. I was thinking the likely option is going to be, uh, you know, Duke Johnson. But Duke Johnson is nice, too. Yeah, I, I just don't think Cleveland needed to make this move. Why? Just so nobody else can get him? That's what I'm thinking. Maybe you just didn't want anybody else to sign him. And um, you can get him dirt cheap. I, I think, I, well, the dude is an all-pro running back. And you could get him for basically below market value. Yes, he comes with a lot of baggage, but I mean, I think anytime you can you can add that type of player to your team, especially a team like Cleveland that's on the rise, you know, if you can add that type of player to your team and it doesn't really cost you anything at all, I mean, it's a, it's basically a one year deal. Um, why not? You know, what I'm saying like I, I I I don't I applaud them for doing it. Like honestly, like I like I I, I told you offline. I was like I wanted the Jets to sign. I, I thought that was the perfect situation for him to go to. You know, a, a team like the Jets or a team like the Browns, a team that's on the rise, on the come up, that gives him another opportunity to to play. Because like I don't think the guy should be. I don't like what he did as much as anybody. Um, and I think he's gonna pay his debt. He's gonna be punished. He's probably gonna be suspended. You know, anywhere from six to to eight, maybe 10 games, whoever, who knows. But, you know, once he pays his debt to society or to the NFL or whatever, then let the guy play. And I think he's, I, I think it was a smart move for Cleveland. I think you can never have too many talented players, especially, especially the level that Cleveland's at right now. They're on the rise. They're trying to go for it. I love the move by Cleveland, honestly. Well, John Dorsey, I'm on Bleacher Report, and apparently they've had a relationship since 2016 when he was in college. So, uh, so he he knows the man. He knows him well. And you know, if if you're just taking him off the board, so nobody else can get him, that's understandable. And you also get the talent that comes with it. Um, I get it. But when I look at what they have with in, in Chubb, and then you got Baker Mayfield on top of it, like it's that's a lot. So. Yeah. So when I say they didn't necessarily need to make that move, I'm saying that because they didn't really need a running back. But if if you're also looking, it's like, okay, so do I want the Jets to get him? No. Do I want Pittsburgh to get him? No. No. Do I want, yeah. you know, Baltimore to get him? No. So let me go ahead and get him for the cheap. I got a relationship with the guy. I know him personally. Um, so I'll just go ahead and take him off the board, give him an opportunity to get his life on track, his career back on track. So he can come in, make amends. We don't necessarily need to play him uh, because he'll be suspended six games or whatever. So because we got Nick Chubb, and when he gets here, then you know we'll we'll, we'll go see what happens. But that's that's really all I got, man. It's just still like I, I do. I'm not of the uh, I'm not in the camp that says he should get another opportunity to play. You know, I'm not one of those guys, right? So I think you know he deserves to be punished. And he'll he'll serve his time, and he'll come back, and and he should you know play and continue his career just like any other person. Absolutely, in yeah. America, like yeah. And I think the thing with him time. too, and the thing the thing with him is like he's so young. I mean, he's you know it's not like this is a situation where he's Ray Rice, he's thirty one or something. Like he's washed up. You're just looking to get one last bit of of, of drip drop from that talent. You know what I'm saying? I mean, the dude is what I think he's like twenty. I don't even want to mess up his name, but I know he's, he can't be more than like 25, 26. So, 
I mean, the dude is supremely talented, obviously. We've seen him his first two years. I mean, he was on his way to being, I think he was on his way to leading the league in rushing this year again, too, um, before he got suspended. And yeah, so I mean, I think I think if you're the Browns, I think it's a great move. I think it's I think and and I like and I feel like sometimes as an organization, when you've been bad for so long, sometimes you got to make those moves. Sometimes you got to show your fan base like, yo, we feel it. We tired of being we're tired of being bums. Like, like we're going for it. Like we're we're doing this. And I think that's one that's a, that's a move that that's what what it signals. I think it signals like, hey, we're we're all in for 2019. We're trying to be better. We think that we're a team that can compete for a playoff spot. And this is a guy that helps us get there. So I think that's a good move for them. I, I get what you're saying. And I, I get, I honestly don't believe that that's the, that's the case too much. Like teams, I mean, I think it plays a huge role into it. Like, oh, okay, let's, let's get him because the Steelers might get him or the Jets might get him. I think that plays somewhat of a role in any, in any sport when you're trying to sign guys. I think that obviously plays a role in it. But I honestly don't think, I think, I don't think Cleveland's in a position where they can think like that, honestly. <laughs> I think they just got to get as much talent as possible. And um, they did, and now they're 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 back to. I mean, even if they decide to trade Duke Johnson, um, they still got a one-two punch of Chubb and 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 Kareem Hunt when he plays. That's that's going to be outstanding. Yeah, no, I mean, look, hey, and, and Chubb has, I think, injury issues. Also, I think yeah, the knee, the knee. The yeah. yeah, yeah. So it, it'll be good to have him, and then you can do the the one-two punch. You know, like like they love to do in the NFL now, uh, with with two running backs. So, and they so, might keep, and they might keep Duke Johnson too, because I mean, Duke Johnson is a is a threat pass. You know, catching the ball out of the backfield, he's a return man, so he he does a lot of different things for them too. So they might decide to just keep Duke Johnson. But I just I, I probably think that they'll probably trade Duke Johnson to get a pick for him or something. So, but yeah, I think the, I, I like to see the Browns making these moves, man. I think that that's a good that's a good thing for the for the league. I think now it's now it's just time to see what 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 kind of drama and suspension comes from this. Um, what do you think is going to happen? What do you think he's going to get, like, the eight games? If I'm the NFL, I give him eight. Um, you know, they – yeah, I'll just give him eight and, and get it over with. But what, what, wait, what, but what's the minimum? What is it, six? Uh, yeah, I believe the minimum is, like, six. I believe under, the, like, the new policy or whatever, I think the minimum is now, like, six. Then just give him six. Like, you, you – I mean – you can't go wrong with that. I mean, the policy is the policy if you want to stand behind it. Now, yeah, but if you, know, you want I, to go ahead and give him eight and try to be heavy-handed and say, hey, we take it serious, you know, try to improve your image, then you can do that as well. That's what, that's what I think. That's what I think. I think the NFL is tired of getting beat up by these damn suspensions and the, or lack thereof. So I think they're going to probably try to – I think I think they're, I they're don't think they're going to go too crazy with it. I think they're probably going to settle like eight. It's like, all right, man, just, you know, they could, they could go ten. They can go six. I think they're going to shuttle at somewhere in the middle, like eight. Like, hey, man, you know, got to do it to you. Got to set an example. Um, and I think they'll do that. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. So let's transition over to uh, the hardwood. Um, what's, what's been your impressions of the trade deadline so far? Did, did some teams get better? Did some teams get worse? I already know kind of your answer. We'll get to the Lakers in a little bit. But um, just overall in the whole trade deadline as a whole, um, just kind of give me your 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 recap of the trade deadline. I thought it was interesting, um, not as exciting as it is normally been, but I think you know for some of the teams like the Raptors, like I, I initially didn't really think that was a good trade for them, but then I really, but I I, I forgot that Gasol kind of got that old 
old white man's game. <laughs> um, so I think he, he's way more effective than uh, the center that they had there. Oh, he's an upgrade and, over Valanciunas. Oh, oh yeah. 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 So, and if uh, I don't know, I mean, you can actually you can actually run plays for Gasol in the post. You can do that right. for Valanciunas. Yeah. Yeah. So I think having a, having a talent like that on, on that gives them a competitive advantage in, in the East, especially when you have to face somebody like Philly. So now you got a center that can go up against Joel and B. Where you know in the past you you had a guy, but you did have a guy. Um, so I think that's an upgrade. And and like like I was thinking also, and I would have to check the contract situation. If Kawhi was to leave, then you'll still have enough talent on the team as long as Sako and Oda Jawabi continues to develop. Mm-hmm. So so you'll you'll be okay um there. Um uh, so I thought that that was pretty cool. I thought the Fultz trade, I I, I still didn't like it. Uh, mainly because it, and I just believe in Fultz and whatever's going on with that shoulder. So I but he didn't have a spot, he didn't have a position, and he was gonna be uh uh he was gonna impact them being able to sign Butler and Tobias Harris. So he was expendable. So it made sense. They got back a pick that they gave away in order to get Tobias Harris. So uh, so I think it was a what turned out to be looked like a bad situation for Elton Brand turned into a, a pretty good one. So good job by him. Um, what else happened? Uh, who, who else got traded? Uh, uh, there was a flurry of. Some, I mean, obviously, you had the KP trade before the before the All Star break, or before the uh, before the trade deadline. You had that trade go down. Uh, you had the um, you had the Lakers making another dumbass move, uh, trading Zubac and Beasley for uh, Muscala. You had um, obviously you had the false trade. You talked about that. Uh, I mean, oh, like the Thon Baker, uh, Thon Baker, yeah, Thon, Thon Maker, yeah, that Thon Maker trade. That was that was that was an interesting one. Um, out of all the trades, what's the one that you love the most? I now like the Philly trade. Now that I had a chance to from see the, them from play. the Clipper from the Clippers side, or you you like it from the Philly side of things? From the Philly side of the things, yeah. Uh, oh, I didn't know they the Sacramento Kings got rid of uh, Labessier. Wow. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They got they yeah they traded they traded uh, Sky Labessier and they uh, they also got Harrison Barnes. That was another. Trade. Yeah, poor Barnes. Um, well, I mean, I like when you when you fi- when you finally read into it, he chose. He knew that the trade was going down, and he chose to play. Like he, no, it's not that. I'm talking about just being traded all over the place. Oh, okay, uh, yeah, all over the place. Yeah, but I mean, I, but sometimes we're not all over the place. place. Sometimes- I take that back because he signed there, then he got traded. Yeah. So you know, yeah. Um, but he's a good. He's a good player. I think he'll help San Carano. Yeah, that's an interesting trade. I like I like smaller trades, those little small moves that don't look like much because they're not mm-hmm. big names, but yeah. they can impact the the team. Like, um, like uh, Meritage going to Milwaukee. That was low key a a nice trade for them because I think he helps that team immensely. I think he gives yeah. them another low, another scorer, another low post option, and he's a guy that can kill you from the perimeter as well. Can rebound a little bit. Yeah, Meritick is a good move. Um, what's the trade that you just didn't understand? Like, what the hell are they doing? 
it, it was the Philly trade too. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> but mainly because the reason why it's both is like, wow, man, you gave away the Miami pick, you know, for Tobias Harris, and you have no idea on whether or not he's going to even stay there. But like I said, after watching them play, he seems happy. He seems to fit right in. and He actually fits he, better than, than Jimmy Butler. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. And, you know, Jimmy's definitely, uh, if, if Jimmy want to leave and don't want to be third or second fiddle, then he can go ahead because I, I, I love, like you said, I, I love Tobias to, to the Sixers more than, than Jimmy. Because uh, you know his ability to spread the spread the floor, shoot the three. He, I mean, he can do he can do it all. I thought that that was a a really really you know good move for for Philly. Uh, I'm over here now looking around. Like I said, I, I wasn't too too hip on the Gasol trade. Uh, I'm still sort of iffy on that, but you know he he just it just seemed like they were just trying to get rid of the guy. Uh, but they got Jared Jackson Jr. there, um, so I know they want him to play more. So you know, I I, I kind of understand it a little bit, um, but it, it just I don't know. It's just something about it don't don't sit well with me. Um, I like I liked it. I, I liked it. I think the Soul has has got a lot left in the tank. Um, I, I think he can help Toronto. I think he'll be reinvigorated. I like when veterans kind of leave losing situations and they go to a winning team. I think you can instantly see them being reinvigorated. I think he helps that team. I think he brings a, a winning. I know he's been in Memphis for the last couple of years, but I, I think he's overall still a winner, a winning player. Um, I think he helps them, and he's and he's a and he's and he is a not a little bit, but a clear upgrade over Jonas Valanciunas at this point. Like not even it's not even debatable. He's an upgrade over Jonas Valanciunas. So I like trades where you upgrade, where you can legitimately say I upgraded over the posi- the person that I had at this position before. That's Here's me, that's a trade me. that didn't make sense to me, and I'm still trying to figure it out. The Portland Trailblazers getting Rodney Hood for Niskowski's Wade Baldwin and two future second-round picks. Um, uh, I like Rodney Hood. For all of that? Yeah, they overpaid a little bit, but I actually like that trade for Portland because I think Rodney Hood could play. Um, I think it improve. I, I think it gives them another guy who they could put in the starting lineup, or can come off the bench and give them instant buckets. I think Rodney Hood was being wasted in Cleveland. Um, I think they gave up a little bit too much. I agree, <laughs> a lot for Rodney Hood, especially when the value wasn't really there. I don't see any right. team to pay that that price. So, I mean, if you want to say you don't understand it from the from the price perspective, yeah, I get it. Yeah, it was it was the, like yeah, it was the price perspective. Like when I look at that, I'm like, y'all gave up all that for Rodney Hood. Like you could have got him for Nick Scouts <laughs> and, and maybe a second round pick. But that's what I but that's how I feel about the uh the Mike Muscala to uh Lakers trade. Like y'all gave up Zubots for Mike Muscala because essentially it was Zubots from Muscala. And I was like, Really? Like Zubots was a nice, young, promising big. You gave him for a you know, Muscala's a, a, a shooter. He's just a, a, a three point specialist, a guy that he's the he's the ninth man on your team. Like he's, he's a guy who play, you know, he's a he's a spot up shooter. He gets you some some buckets, like, but you don't trade a Zubach for that guy. Like, you could have got, you could have traded, you could have traded Beasley straight up for Muscala, and lost nothing. 
Nah, they you could have traded Beasley. Beasley. I mean, you probably could have had to give him like a second round pick or something, or you know, throw in something that somebody else. But to me, you 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 brought up Wagner. Like I would have rather them trade Wagner. What? My opinion. I like Wagner, man. I, yeah, I like him too. I like him too, but I don't know. I like Zubac. I like Zubac. I see. I see something in that kid, man. I see that kid's been through a lot with the LA, and he still continued to play well. And plus, I like I like Zubac being with those Bulls in in McGee and um and Tyson Chandler. I think he could have he could have he was starting to grow and mature more than that. So I thought those guys was having a good effect on him. So to trade him now is like I don't know. Kind of felt. I mean, I'm not against trading Zubac. I was just saying, like, if you're going to trade him, get something of a more significant value, in my opinion. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, for Vizcala, it, it you know, and it just seemed like an overpay. It just seemed like an overpay. Like it was just like, okay, you traded Zubac. It's not a real fair deal. Because to me, if I'm the Clippers, like, damn, I got Zubac from Mike Vizcala. Like, yeah, that's a win for us. But you know, Zubac reminded me of. He reminded me of. Uh, Zizek a little bit. He reminded me of uh, who was the guy that was in uh, 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 Antic? Uh, oh, um, um, are you talking about Ashik or, or Antic? Ashik, yeah. Yeah, Omir Ashik, yeah. Yeah, like he, he. Uh, it was another guy in Cleveland uh, where LeBron had that that run with that oh, first unit. Is it Drunas? Nah, nah, hold on. I'm going to look it up. But, you know, he he – he looks like he has a lot of talent, but <laughs> it may not be there. Maybe he just was in the right place with a lot of talent. Because, you know, his his main thing was, he, you know, he, he caught a lot of, you know, he caught lobs. He was able to, he's, he's long as hell, so he was able to get rebounds and put them right back. He seemed to have a nice touch around the rim. He does. But, but could some of that be, like, just him being, you know, in the system and the pop out of the rim around him? No, nah, because he balled out um, last year. He was hurt a lot, and his minutes got cut for some reason. Luke Walton being okay, Walton. Um, but the year, the first year, his first year, because this was his third year. His first year with Byron Scott, he balled out his the second half of the year when they finally gave him some burn. Once we were just a terrible team in the second half, like they finally gave him some burn, and he he balled out. So there was a lot like you ask any Lakers fan like Zubac. Like there's a lot of Lakers fans that like Zubac. Like the kid has always shown promise. It's just that they've never really given him a full opportunity to take the position and run with it. And even this year, they came into it with like little to no expectation. He was sick in the offseason. I think he had something going, you know, a sickness or a disease or something going on. So he lost a lot of weight. He had to gain that back, um, the injuries and stuff like that. So there wasn't a lot of expectations for him. And remember when JaVel McGee got hurt, um, you know, they basically just went through him out of desperation. And he responded. He responded. Mozgov. Timothy Mozgov. Oh, oh Moz. Oh, he's not Mozgov. Now that's disrespectful now. <laughs> he's not know, man. Come on, dog. Come on, dog. This nigga got more talent in his pinky than Mozgov now. But hell, Mozgov got 60 million. That's t- to me, LeBron is top 10, top five all time on the simple fact that he got Mozgov 60 million. I'll defer to you on uh on Zubak because I don't watch the Lakers and I didn't see him that much see him play that much. I just saw him get off against the Warriors and then I saw you know and, and I saw him play here there in a lot of the box scores and you know he just seemed like you know balling home like he's just one of these big lumbering <laughs> white boys. Yeah, he's a lumber, but I, but I think he's got talent. But he's got talent, man. He's he's got he's got. I'm not saying he's going to be basically Marcus Allen. I'm not saying that. That's not get crazy. All star. 
defensive player of the year level type. No, I'm not saying that. But I think he's got a chance to be really good. So I think he's got a chance to be a, a 14 and 10 type of guy every night. But That's you can't get that with, with, with Wagner, though. Yeah, I mean, he, like I said, Wagner's – I mean, I like Wagner too, but Wagner's more of a – he's more of a, a stretch four. To me, to me, and, and and that's a valuable commodity, obviously. But I think Zubac gives you a little bit more because he's a guy that can dominate in the low post. He's a rebounder. I just think that to me, Zubac gives you a little bit more bang for your buck. To me, in my opinion, if you're comparing the two, that, that's what I feel. Yeah, I mean, maybe you'll get more offense from Wagner and more rebounds. You get more maybe. shooting for Wagner, but do I do it? Yeah. You get more consistent. First of all, Wagner's not consistent because Wagner will have a game where he shoots the lights out of the ball, and then he'll fucking have a two for a two for twenty night or some shit like that. So Wagner's not consistent, and Zubac, even the nights that he didn't really go off, Zubac consistently gave you a double double, or at least close to a double double. So I like, I mean, again, I think Zubac is a nice, solid player. So to me, I think trading him away for Mike Muscala didn't really make a lot of sense to me. Now I'm not against trading Zubac again. Like I'm saying, if you would have got a piece that of of, of more significance. I would have said, okay, yeah, trade Zubac. But to trade him for Mike Muscala, it was just kind of like, um, okay. It, it, it just, you know what it felt like? It felt like one of those, like Magic was getting criticized and he felt like, all right, we got to do something. Like we can't go this trade deadline without making a trade. Let's just make this trade. Like it, that's what it felt like. Yeah, Magic was pissed. He was mad at, at Dale Dimps. So he's like, fine, I'm gonna just get rid of everybody. <laughs> you know? Yeah, exactly. You know, one yeah. guy, you, you won't even have Zubac now. That's what you know, it felt. we talked later. Like, that's what it felt like. It felt like, and I didn't. Even, I didn't even think it felt like that. It just kind of felt like let's make a trade to the sake of making a trade. Like we can't go this trade deadline without making a trade. So they felt like they just made a trade to make a trade, and I hate those trades because to me, you end up nine times out of ten, you end up making a bad trade, and I felt like this was a bad trade. That's just my opinion. We could agree to disagree on it, and I think a lot of Laker fans feel that way, honestly. Yeah, it's possible, but I, I, they do like. <laughs> They need the shooting, and I think Mescala would bring that, even though he was bricking up, you know, the place, uh, you know, the Sunday when they got slacked. But, um, and you know what? Now that you mentioned it, like, I think the other part to that whole thing is you just traded for Reggie Bullock. Yeah. And he's a three-point shooter. Like, that's what he does. Yeah. So, but – how consistent? Let me look it up. How consistent is he with with because I saw him playing the Hawks and you know he didn't he didn't look all that all that great at at times. But Raph was high on. He's a I mean he's he's another Reggie Bullock. I mean you basically double down. You got another Reggie Bullock, and I'm not anti that. I'm just saying the price that you paid for that piece for that type of player is like eh, to me you could have traded him for Beasley and like another lesser pick. Or a lesser lesser piece on the team, or even a, like you throw in a second round pick or two, and it would have been a little bit more of a fair trade to me. But hey, Jerry West is the goat man for a reason. So, and I and I, yeah, I, the man, the way he managed to just dump all those assets, yep, all I, those players for assets. I, I, so I, I, I'm just sure. So I tell stunned. you what, I actually when I first heard the trade, I actually hated it from the Clippers' perspective. I was like, what are the? Because I'm I'm so confused at what the Clippers are. Are the Clippers all in, or are they kind of rebuilding, or are they kind of they're kind of in the middle? It, I, they did this it, last year, though. Remember, they did this with Blake Griffin. Yeah, I know. And I, I, I usually, to me, like in the NBA, I don't think you could be well in, in sports. Period. I don't think you could be like in the middle. Like to me, you either all in or you're all out. Like this thing of, 
hey, we're playing, we're like, we're happy, we're content if we get a seven seed, but you know, we're okay if we finish with the tenth. Like, I, I don't, I think that's weird for me. That's a weird position to be in. But, but granted, that still being their case, because they're still, I think they're still like the eighth seed, I believe, right now, or or battling for the eighth seed right now. Um, I think they're ahead of us in the standings, but. Um, you know, be that as it may, I still like the trades that they made. You know, once I started reevaluating the trades or whatever, I was like, man, they actually came out all right with the trade because essentially this was the last of the Blake Griffin trade. So essentially, they traded Blake Griffin and they got four first round picks for him. I think. Wow. Yeah, including that Miami pick. So wow. Yeah, yeah that that was the one that got me. Like that, I, I still don't know what Elton Brand was thinking with that. Like, bro, like. You gave up what four picks for Tobias Harris? Yeah, yeah. What are you thinking? Yeah, that that's... you didn't have to give that much away. Like he he got man El- Elton now Elton Brand got got taken to school. I think he made the other tra- trade with folks just to save face. <laughs> yeah, it, well, I. I think it was just a point out where I think you, I, you know, I, yeah, it was a little bit of safe face move. It was a little bit of a safe face, safe face move too. But I also think that they just had to get folks out of there. I think that you couldn't continue that situation, you know, cause it was just becoming, it was just becoming embarrassing at that point, you know, so give the kid a free, you know, I think it was just the best for every, all parties involved to just separate yourself from it and just say, you know what, let's give this kid another shot somewhere. Maybe he has a chance with Orlando. Maybe he doesn't, but you know, I think they just had to cut bait with him. But yeah, no, I think I, I, I'm not as hard on Elton Brand as you are because I still feel like, hey, he, did he improve his team? Yes. Was it an overpay? Yes. I think I think it's a good trade if he ends up resigning there long term, and obviously they end up getting to a finals, and I think it pays off. Now if they implode, and I know you're higher on Philly than I am, I still have my doubts on Philly. Ben Simmons not being able to shoot still concerns me. Jimmy Butler still concerns me. I think he's a mental midget. I think he's a mental breakdown waiting to happen. Um, so I, I still have my concerns over Philly. I know they look good yesterday, smashing us, but I think that was more about us than Philly, honestly. Um, but yeah, I still have my concerns about Philly. So, um, but I think it's a good trade for Philly if they end up doing what they what they're potentially able to do. Now, if they don't, then I think they're going to look really bad. Elton Brand's going to look really. Oh, bad. he's going to get fired. <laughs> yeah, he, he's going to yeah. down there. <laughs> you know, because yeah. Yeah, Landry Shamet, who was playing well. He was actually balling. That surprised me because I was surprised that they actually gave up on Landry Shamet because he was actually playing really good. Um, he was actually playing really, really good for them. So I was surprised that they gave up on him. But again, I mean, yeah, it did feel like an overpay for Tobias. It did feel like an overpay for Tobias. Yeah. But um, I didn't get your thoughts on the on the uh, Porzingis. Well, I did get your thoughts on the Porzingis, but you want to talk about the Porzingis trade real quick? Just kind of where you... I, I just for the people that because people have been asking me about my thoughts on it, and I've been very vocal about it. Um, I don't like the trade for the simple fact that so much of it is contingent on the Knicks signing Durant and and and, and Kyrie. And unless you have a back backroom deal, handshake agreement, con, you know, signed, sealed, and delivered, I don't like this trade because to, I, I'm not against trading Porzingis because to me Porzingis was was too full of himself. Like this dude is in here walking out of meetings with Phil Jackson, sitting here demanding shit, having his brother do his dirty work. Like, dude, you've been in the NBA for th- for four years, and the Knicks have been completely dog shit. Now, it's not all been your fault, but he's been hurt half the time. He's never played a full season. I don't think he's ever played more than seventy games anyway. Like, 
I'm not anti-trading Porzingis, but if you're but if you're telling me that you're trading Porzingis and your plan is to trade and your plan is to sign Kyrie and KD and you don't sign those guys, then I'm kind of like, eh. yeah. So that 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 whole trade is is funny to me, mainly because of Porzingis. <laughs> Um, because he clearly didn't want to be there, and he, he walked into yeah. the office trying to get fired. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. yeah, that that was his whole thing. Yeah. So, and like I, he I, showed I, up three days, three hours late, and shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like he was just definitely trying to get fired. Yeah, New York made the best of a bad situation, honestly, um, because they were. They reached the the breaking point with 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 him. Um, he didn't believe, and you know these these picks they got and the potential uh, signings of of Kyrie or Durant. Um, he didn't believe in the organization, and you know he he wanted to get out of there. And I think that for them to get back what they got back. Um, with with Dennis Smith Jr., who's, who's looked pretty good so far, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think it's going to help out. And even if they don't get KD or um, or Kyrie, like we are, we you know with Dennis Smith, Kyrie, you know is yeah, you don't really have to get him. He and Kevin Durant could be well, but Kevin Durant is the one. Like if you don't get KD, yeah. then what? Because now you're looking at Knox. As as being your guy or whoever you can get Zion, RJ Barrett, Cam Reddish, whoever, you know, as as being your franchise guy, so you could just go young and build that way. But uh, but you got rid of a guy who was going to be a cancer on that team for the upcoming future, and you got back you know some assets in return. Yeah, I agree. I, I think I mean I, I like I said on Twitter, like I don't hate the trade in that of itself. I think the trade was pretty fair overall especially considering the situation. I just hate that so much of the success of the trade, because because the, the first narrative that was thrown out there was this now puts the Knicks in position to go out and get Kyrie and KD. Like they, they, you know, the Knicks didn't make this trade and be like, oh, okay, hey, here comes Zion and let's build through the draft. Like they didn't do that. Like the narrative has automatically been KD, Kyrie. And when you don't do that, you're going to have a hard time selling the New York media. Hey, here comes Kemba. Here comes, you know, yeah. you know, name, a, you know what I'm saying? Like, you're going to have a hard time selling that. You know what I'm saying? But I mean, I, I, I get what you're saying. Like, they had to get Porzingis out of there. He just didn't want to be there. Um, my issue with that is I just don't see Kevin Durant. I, I mean, I, I still don't believe Kevin Durant's going to leave Golden State. I'm, 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 I'm in the minority in that camp. Um, and if he does leave Golden State, I don't see him going to the Knicks. Like, what do you gain from that? Like, what do you gain going to the Knicks? I don't know. I, well, oh, hey, oh, I'll tell you what. what is I'll it? tell you what he gained going to the Knicks. Um, he could change his, his the narrative around his legacy. If the yeah, Knicks turn into a winning franchise, if they turn I, into a playoff I get team, it. I get it. I don't know. I, I honestly think it hurts his legacy because now it's like you leave because because now you can spin it the other way. The Knicks draft Zion and Zion ends up being what he is, and then they get K- K- Kyrie. It almost feels like now he's jumping on another bandwagon and trying to join the Knicks. I, I, I don't know. I think to me, once you leave, it only hurts your legacy again to leave again. It's just like I don't know. It's just to me, it's just and he doesn't have a similar situation like LeBron where he went home. So it was like a you could spin it in that narrative, you know, unless he's going back to OKC, which that's not happening. 
like I don't see a situation where uh, to me it helps his his legacy one way or another. To me, at this point, you Gucci, you might as well just stay with Golden State. It's a perfect system. It's designed for you in a lot of ways. Like just stay there and win six, seven championships, my nigga. Like just do you. Like at this point, you're not going to save your legacy one way or another. So to and, and that's just me. I'm in the minority. I I, I understand that. I just feel like there's nothing you gain from going to the Knicks. I in my opinion. If he wins six titles by staying there, yeah, it will look great, but it will always have the asterisk by it, right? It will. And it will. In KD's mind, this is he he's he's doing all of this to himself. In KD's mind, from what was reported out there, and you know, he had his whole rant, but people get this stuff from somewhere, he thought that when he won those titles and he hit those shots. He would get the respect. LeBron, he would be yeah. the man. All he did was add to LeBron's already crazy legacy because it's one on four. So now there's this lore that's created about LeBron that he and, and LeBron's in this weird, unorthodox way is gaining by losing. And KD. Can't seem to understand it because he was like, I just won two in a row. I'm back-to-back finals MVP. I hit the shot over LeBron. And you guys are refusing to say that I'm better than LeBron. Not only that, LeBron started to decline. And all you guys talk about is is LeBron every day. It's like, what else do I have to do? And he's going to try to do something to change what people think. But I'm with you. I don't think it's going to help unless he wins a title in New York. Now, he wins a title in New York. I agree. Now, if he wins a championship, yeah, he wins a championship in, in, with the Knicks. Yeah, of course. But th- even if they sign Kyrie, I mean, there's no guarantee that they, they make it to the Eastern Conference Finals. Nah, that was the way Kyrie reacted. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a whole nother podcast episode. But um, yeah, no, I just I don't know. To me, I just you can you can look at it from a lot of different perspectives. I just honestly don't see to me if I was if I was advising Kevin Durant, I would say, do you do stay in Golden State? It's perfect for you. You know, it's it's a system that's designed for you. You're in a dynasty. <laughs> like, just ride it out, my G. But ride it out to the wheels fall off. But you know what, man? I, I think the other thing is I think he's just tired of Golden State. Um. You know, even if they get rid of Draymond, I think just everything that's that came with going to Golden State, um, regardless of how fun it well, how fun it used to be um, for them, I think it's, it's never going to be his team. It's never going to nope, be his team. It's nope, it, it won't be. And, and for a while, he almost had it because Curry took a back seat. But I think Curry can sense what's about to happen. Because when Curry came back, Curry took back over the team. And Curry yeah. became the man, and everybody talked about Curry. Even when Curry was out and Durant put up some monster performances, like he got talked about a little bit, but they don't talk about him the way they talk about Curry. They talk about Steph Curry on the level of LeBron. That's where Steph yeah, Curry, well, Curry is. Well, Curry, Curry is the emotional leader of the team. I, I, well, Curry's no, I don't want to say the emotional leader of the team. Draymond's the emotional leader of the team. But I think Curry is the quarterback. Curry is the guy that, you know, the media first comes to talk to. Curry is the, fa- the baby boy, you know, the, 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 the couple boy. It, it's just Curry's team. He was the first there. He was the first one. He was the MVP. You know, I mean, I, I just think 
it's a different dynamic. And, and it's crazy because you would think that Kevin Durant obviously is a better player than Kevin Durant. You know, yeah. individually he's a better player than Stephen Curry. But Stephen Curry just has that quality about him that I think people just gravitate to him more than I think a, a Kevin Durant. If, if LeBron was to retire, the league would be Steph Curry's. Steph Curry would be the face of the league. He, he, he's, he's the next yeah. man up. It would be his league. Well, you can make the case, you can make the argument that who's had a more profound impact on the NBA, let's say in 20 years from now when we're having this discussion, when we're old men, who's ha- who had a profound impact on the league, you can make the case that Steph Curry had a probably a bigger, more profound impact on the NBA on the court, on the court, than LeBron. You can make that argument. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, in terms of impact, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Sh- shooting, yeah, like he completely changed the NBA. Yep. And as much and as great as LeBron has been, you can't say the same thing from the, on the court for LeBron. Argue. You know what I mean? You can, you can yeah. argue it. You could. I mean, you could. Ar- you could. You could legitimately have that debate. You could legit. Now you would. Now you can make the case that LeBron's had an impact as far as player empowerment and having the ability to be a great player and leave your original team. That from that end of things, yeah. But on the court, like you can honestly have that discussion, and you wouldn't be looked at with a side eye, like, bruh. like when you think about it, who had a more impact on the NBA, changing the way the game is played? Steph Curry, right? And and Kevin Durant wasn't able to do that, um, and nope, you know he he kind of fit right in and just became a superstar. But I I I, I just think, man, like that, you know, I was reading the articles on the Athletic, and I know he has some things to say about Ethan Strauss, um, but. Even the things that he was reporting about what he saw, like Kevin Durant's, you know, in the huddle, he's not in the huddle. He's over by the stanchion. Um, you know, he's not really dapping teammates up like, anymore. Like Kevin Durant has basically uh, sort of distanced himself from the team. And watch them play. Kevin Durant is doing a job when he goes out on the court and he's doing what he does best. Like the court is his sanctuary. But it doesn't seem like the, he's having as much fun as he did the first two years he was there. And it could be, although though, he could end this free agency noise immediately by saying I'm coming back. But he's not. So, and I think that Draymond cussing yeah. him out, and yeah, you know, they, they mend the fences or whatever. But with Kevin Durant, you just can't always what, go back with him. No, I agree. I agree. And but but that's that's what makes the rant kind of stupid in my you know in my opinion that the whole rant stupid and just kind of makes him look even worse. Like that's what's funny about like Twitter. Like half of Twitter was saying, "Oh yeah, Gold KD, he showed the media," and I'm like, "No, he exposed himself to being soft and emotional." Because like, dude, you're sitting here crying and woe is me when you're the problem. Because if you, if, if you want this to end, like I told you when we when I texted you, I was like, if you want this to end. Sign an extension. Yeah. I went to Bob Myers' office right now and say, you know what? I'm a warrior for life. Sign me up. I don't care. You know, let's let's bring let's bring Clay into the room. Let's bring stuff. We'll figure out the money. We'll figure out the cap. But I'm down. I'm here for life. What's good? Let's do it. And that's it. It ends. 
But no, you continue to play this this game of, well, I don't know, let's sign the two-year contract with an opt-out. Like you continue to play this game and it's gonna be media speculation. When you when you basically give dogs meat, they're gonna fight you know, a pack of wild dogs, stray dogs, meat to, to salivate over, they're gonna fucking fight each other over. Yep. So that's what the media is doing. They're just they're just they're just creating the narrative because you you're helping push that narrative. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 actually a little fascinating to watch, honestly. You know, because they made well the NBA now is the NBA now is more drama and reality. I mean, honestly, I like honestly, we shouldn't even have an eighty-two game season. It should just be one big ass reality show. Yeah, I'm surprised HBO or Netflix or somebody hasn't hasn't been pitched the idea yet. Oh yeah, yeah, they would kill if they had their own version of uh, Hard Knocks. Or ballers, yeah, <laughs> like a real life, like a real life ballers. <laughs> Rich Paul, <laughs> follow Rich Paul around. Like, yeah, no, it's 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 yeah. It, it, the whole KD thing is just a mess. And I guess we can finally finish up with the whole Laker thing. I mean, we've talked about it online. We've we dabbled in it a little bit, but you know how bungled is did Magic screw this up for the Lakers with the whole Anthony Davis situation? Um. Man, uh, he he he's trying to save things now. First of all, I'm glad he didn't do the move. I, I thought giving up a, a, a starting five plus assets yeah. ridiculous for a guy uh, like Anthony Davis, who hasn't proven he can win. Um, but you you put him with LeBron. Okay, God, I don't, I mean, people out there listening should be able to make that um, connection themselves. So I won't even go into that but uh but uh, I, I you know I, I, I understand but ball ingram kuzma who's a who's a killer like imagine if it all just clicks or when it when it, when it all clicks for them right that team could be really 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 good because at the end of the day they have a shit of talent so I'm glad that they did do the trade with what they were putting on the table. But mentally, because they are so young, it obviously affected them because you got Lonzo Ball posted on Snapchat. Um, you know, Kuzma, I think, as, as being as real as he is, you know, he he addressed it and talked about it, was very upfront with, with the whole situation. And we haven't heard from Ingram from what I've seen so far. So, uh, but I think now they're a little bit more comfortable, and Magic's got to come in. He got to do a little sales pitch thing, and got to get everybody on the same page. LeBron has to be the leader now and get everybody together and try to make a push for the playoffs, which I think they'll they'll eventually end up getting because this is who you got, bro. And the last time you guys made on your team, you had, you were on a team that made a drastic trade. It didn't work out so well for you. Uh, no. So, you know, do what you said you were going to do um, and let this thing play out. You and Magic obviously sat down and talked about a plan. And the plan wasn't this year. And even with AD, the plan wasn't going to be this year. So let the thing play out. Now when AD becomes available, you got to go try to get him. And like I said on, on Dead End Sports, like the Lakers would trade themselves for AD. Like Kuzma, mm-hmm. Ball, and Eagle would trade themselves for AD. He's just that good. But 
I think that psychologically, LeBron and Magic got to settle these guys down and get these guys back on the same page. Because what's lingering now is, all right, well, yeah, we can trade it now. But what happens in the offseason? We're going to start all over again. So, yeah. you know, so I think that's going to be the potential problem for them is how, how do you get them to believe that they're going to be a future for this team, you know, going forward. And at the end of the day, they could get Anthony Davis at 2021 or whatever his contract is up. Exactly. Well, 2020. And then exactly. And then think about what kind of players Lonzo is at that time. What kind of player? Because, you know, we're, we're grading this on what players Lonzo and Kuzma and Ingram are right now in 2019. Right. But what will they be at the end of 2020? Like, that's the thing that I think you have to look at, too. Like, Lonzo, you know, because think about it. Lonzo's only 21. Ingram's only 21. Kuz was the oldest of the three, and he's, what, 24? Mm-hmm. So there's no telling what those guys can be in a year and a half from now. There's just no telling. They're, they're, they can, especially playing with LeBron, like, there's no telling what kind of players. And getting a little experience, you know, if they, especially if they make it to the playoffs, like, getting that experience, getting that, 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 that knowledge under their belts, like, who knows what they're going to be. I, I just I don't like those trades, robbing Peter to pay Paul trades. Like, oh, okay, I'm going to trade my whole entire team. It was it's the Carmelo thing all over again. And the biggest issue that I have with Carmelo now, I, I I think that the Carmelo trade in in retrospect gets a little bit overhyped and overrated because none of those pieces, when you think about it, ever went on to do much of anything. Like Danilo Gallinari is a nice player, but nobody looks at Danilo Gallinari as a superstar or uh, an essential part of a team. You know, same thing with Felton, same thing with Mozgov, same thing with the other pieces that they traded. And even the draft picks didn't really matriculate to much of anything. But the, the, in theory, the Carmelo trade was, was the barometer here because of, hey, the Knicks could have just waited, played their cards right, and got him in. Yep. Now, instead of having Carmelo, Amari, and nothing around them. You have Carmelo, you have Amari, you have Danilo Gallinari, you have you know Felton, you have Mozgov, you have all these pieces in place where now you're dealing from a position of strength, not from a position of weakness. And that's the problem that I think that, that these trades happen. And I also think the other situation that you have to think about too is they had to know that the Pelicans were not going to be willing, willing trade partners in this situation. Right. You got to think about it. They were, basically, they were basically slapped with a right hand by Rich Paul saying that the guy, the guy that they've They've essentially built that entire, not just franchise, but that the NBA in New Orleans has been built on Anthony Davis. Because quiet is kept. That franchise isn't long for New Orleans. They they don't make a lot of money. They're like they're like the second to last team as far as revenue. That New Orleans already lost a team once before. It's very capable that if he gets traded or leaves, they might lose that team for good. So the guy that they basically built their entire franchise around says, "Hey, I'm out. I'm gone. I'm done." Why would you think Dell Demps has to save faith here? You know, Mrs. Benson has faith here. They're not just going to give him away, especially to a Western Conference team, especially to the Lakers, who everybody hates anyways. So, yeah, I, I just think that the whole thing was bungled from the, spot, from the start. I don't blame Magic for trying to trade him, but once the demands already first initially, like you knew initially that the demands were crazy. Play, just keep it, keep it cool. Don't overplay your hands. Mm-hmm. Just say, all right, you know what? Okay, this is what you're asking for this? Okay. Boom. Got it. We'll talk, we'll talk in the offseason. Because, because it was never going to be a, it was never going to be in the, in the Pelicans' best interest to start trade negotiations with Anthony Davis and not have the Celtics involved. It was just, it just was bad business. It was just bad business. 
Yeah, yeah, it was. And because you can make the case that the, the the Celtics have an even better package to offer than the Lakers. Yeah, and even even they got to think about what what they're doing to their team because Kyrie is is causing problems. Um, the trade talks were affecting them too, and it probably will still continue to impact them because Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown are being floated out there. And um, so, so what happens in the offseason, especially, you know, especially if Kyrie keeps up the stuff he's doing, because they don't know if he's fully committed. You know, as Danny H said, well, we're engaged. The, well, the worst thing that happened with Kyrie was that team, that young team making a run to the finals yep. or making a run close to the finals. That's the worst thing that ever happened to Kyrie because he lost all his leverage. Yeah. He lost all of his leverage. Yeah, he did. He did. They still, you know. So and and now, you know, he he's been a, a, a pain in the ass to everybody, and now he you know went out and messed up his his knee, his right knee. So what's going to happen with that? Now it's just a sprain, but we know Kyrie's fragile. Um, but you know, so so we'll see. But um, man, there was something you you said that I I, I wanted to piggyback. I can't remember what it was. Maybe it was about what was the, the, the late. Oh oh, it was about yeah yeah just just. Dell Dimps, um, and I think Brian Winhorse told Rachel Nichols this, is that they were just playing mind games with them. And I think Magic realized. I think it was Brian Winhorse. I think it was Brian Winhorse that put that out there. Yeah, they were just they were just using Lakers. Yeah, to to destroy the team internally, it, 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 and and I think Magic realized that when they asked for four first round picks, including everything else they put on the yeah. table, they wanted two more. And I think at that point, Magic was like, fuck them niggas. You know, because it was like, you guys just, you guys just being assholes right now. And, and just left I mean, you got to think about it. Even even the Bucks when they traded Kareem or Lou Alcindor at the time, like, even the Bucks didn't get that kind of return for, for Lou Alcindor. And arguably the top three or four or five best players to ever play the NBA. They didn't even get that return. Now, I know the NBA in the 70s compared to now, GMs got swindled a lot by the Lakers back in the day. I get that. But still, even even the Kareem didn't garner that much of a return. But Anthony Davis is? Like, come on now. Come on now. Yeah, Anthony Davis isn't worth all that. I'm sorry. He just isn't. That's just way too much. Nah, I'm yeah, not you ruining your entire team and the future of your team. And not to mention, like, you went through a six-year rebuild and you're basically going to throw it away for for Anthony Davis? Like, when you can when you can essentially get him in a year and a half if you're just patient? Right. Exactly. It, 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 it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. No, I agree, man. I agree. But, yeah, man, let's, 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 let's wrap it up for today. Uh, before you go, man, go ahead and plug everything. The new projects coming up, everything. Just go ahead and plug everything. Uh, yeah, everybody can catch me on uh, Daddy Hip Hop. Is the mic still on? Dead in sports. Dead in gaming. The future, and I'm going to announce it <laughs> on here. Frames per second podcast. Um, this information isn't out anywhere else. So, uh, so, so look out for that. And. Um, yeah, man, you know, continue to build up the, the podcast network, which this podcast is a part of. Um, yes, sir. And huh, what else? Jesus Christ. <laughs> I mean, so much. Social media. Uh, where you can find you on Twitter. Yeah, 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 yeah. So everybody, yeah, basically just follow me on Twitter for everything uh, because I'm involved in everything. So, yeah, it's at Kenneth B. Edge. Uh, on Instagram, it's at K-B-I-N-G-E. There's a link tree. On my Instagram profile and in my Twitter, I believe, that has links to pretty much everything that's going on. 
So you can find all that stuff there, and it's probably be a little bit easier. There you have it. That's it. That's it. I told y'all he's the Suge Knight of everything, man. He's just got his hands in everything. <laughs> he's going to start. He's going to start announcing dead end east and dead end west. And- I thought about it years ago. <laughs> <laughs> I did actually have. Um, I don't think anybody knows this, but we did have like a, a overseas team. We had uh, this one lady. Word. Yeah, she was. Uh, I think in Europe, and she wanted to basically be the dead end over there for us. And we started working with her. I think we were setting everything up. Wow. And uh, yeah, it was it was going to be a thing. <laughs> hey, well, well, it still might be a thing. Uh, it still might be a thing. So if you hear this, don't steal the idea. Right. <laughs> it still might be a thing. It still might be a thing. Who knows? Maybe in 2020. Who knows? Yep. All right, man. All right, Ken. As always, it's a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you for, for joining us and uh, imparting us with some knowledge, man. Thank you for coming on the podcast, man. Yeah, man. Always fun, man. Appreciate it. You are listening to Any Given Sunday, a Sunday morning sports conversation. Please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, Podbean, and all other podcasting services. Follow us on Facebook at Any Given Sunday, on Twitter at AGS Pod, and on Instagram at AGS Podcast. Thank you for listening and enjoy the show. Yo, welcome back to the show. My thanks again to Ken for joining me this week on the podcast. As always, you can follow him on Twitter at Kenneth B. Ng, on Instagram at Kenneth B. Ng, and make sure you follow all the shows a part of the Dead End family at Dead End Hip Hop, of course, at Dead End Sports, at Is The Mike Still On. Uh, also follow uh, Dead End Gaming. Uh, of course, can't forget about Dead End Gaming. Dope show. And then also make sure you follow Chris Platt, Strictly Hip Hop and Hoops Talk podcast. Dope shows, man. Dope shows are part of the team. Um, my bad for not having a podcast yesterday. Um, you know, we're going through, uh, <laughs> you know, otherworldly, otherworldly uh, weather conditions here in uh, the great state of Washington, the Pacific Northwest, where I live. Uh, man, we've been having snow basically for an entire week. So we've been snowed in in the house for uh, the entire weekend. And uh, so yesterday was just a little tricky trying to do the podcast with family and kids and being snowed in and you know digging ourselves up out of inches of snow, feet of snow. So yeah, I had some time today and the schedule it cleared up a little bit. So uh, I was able to get the podcast done. So yeah, as always, thank you guys for listening and supporting the show. There is no podcast. There is no show without you guys. So greatly, greatly appreciated. Um, as always, you can follow me on Twitter at D Manuel Brown on Instagram at D Manuel Brown. And of course on Snapchat, Manny bro 15. Thank you for listening. Thank you for subscribing. Thank you for supporting this show. Uh, we'll be back next week with another episode of the podcast. Um, Until then, have a happy, safe, blessed week. See y'all next week, everybody. Peace. Serious Sound.
Thank you.